You're listening to The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. I remember once I was a little kid and I got in trouble. I think it was like fifth grade. And my teacher said to me, Charlie, you can be anything you want to be if you just have the right attitude. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I appreciate you saying that, but it's not really true. And as I got older, I started to realize just what the right attitude can do for your life. The right attitude can open up opportunities that were always there that you never saw, can put you in places that you could have never gotten there without that perspective. If you ever needed a proof to this idea, it's my next guest. Fran Capo is an incredible personality. She is an 18-time author, a holder of six world records, including the world's fastest-talking woman, And if you want to ask yourself how she did all these things, you will see an individual who has an I can do it mentality in everything she does in life. With this attitude, she has overcome obstacles and found herself in places that she never would have thought imaginable. If you want to see the power of what a positive attitude can do for your life, check this out. Delving into current events. To uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody. I'm excited. I'm delighted. I am so pumped about this next interview. It is with an amazing woman. I got to tell you, when I read through some just some of the things she's did, I'm exhausted. So I don't know how she does it all, but just reading it is going to exhaust you. So just be be wary as you hear me explain a little bit of our guest. Her name is Fran Capo. She is a motivational speaker, a comedian, an adventurer, an ordained minister. She's in, ready for this? An eight eighteen time author. That's eighteen time author, and doesn't count emails. That's real actual books. Spokesperson, consultant, six time world record holder. And most known as the Guinness Book of World Records fastest talking women. You know, I get because I'm from New York, I get all the time this concept of talking fast, but I'm not anywhere near breaking the record. She has appeared in over 4,500 radio shows and 400 TV shows. Um, it's just such so great to have her on. Fran, welcome to the show. Ah, uh, thank you. I'm very excited about being here. <laughs> it's great to have you on. And I got to tell you, like I said in the intro, um, as a New Yorker, I am always being told. You talk too fast, you talk too fast, you talk too fast. If I go down to the south to ever speak, it's always like, slow it, slow it, slow it. 
were you always a fast talker? Did you grow up in like Brooklyn? Like, how did it work? How did you realize one day that you talk this fast? Well, see, this is the thing. What I just have like a passion for life. So I would come home and I'd be like, mommy, I got to tell you about that. this great thing that happened. And my mom would always just be able to totally understand me. My dad, of course, was always going, all right, say that again. <laughs> like that. The whole point of saying it fast is so that I, I explain the whole thing to you, not that I have to repeat it two, three times, you know? Amazing. So um, in school, I had a teacher that used to make me nervous, the sixth grade teacher, and he would just call on you. And so what I remember one day was he just said, like, I don't remember what it was like, who is the third president? And I didn't want to get it wrong. So I was like, Lincoln, Washington, Monroe. I, it was like, whatever. <laughs> and the class laughed and I'm like, oh, maybe I do this fast talking thing. And Amazing. the thing is, it's just really, I, now here's a funny thing. I don't know if you know anything about Hashimoto's or whatever. It's actually uh, 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 an immune autoimmune thing that's supposed to make you have no energy. And I looked at the doctor and went, excuse me, do I look like a person that has no energy? I think we need to re-diagnose this thing here, please. You know? They diagnosed you with this thing? Yeah. And they said that I have Hashimoto's and they said the symptoms are low energy. And I was like, okay. And so every endocrinologist I've ever been to says that I have this Hashimoto's thing. And yet they say the same thing. They go, you want one guy who's a Japanese doctor, he goes, your body make no sense. You're not normal. <laughs> I go, yeah, tell me something I don't know. You're so, all my life. So, the, I mean, so the thing is, I'm not on medication or whatever. I just have an energy for life. I believe that if you have a passion and if you always have something to look forward to, you just always, your life is exciting. Mm -hmm. So, but if it's the question is, how did I break? How did I become a fast talker? Is that what you want to know? That's yeah. a different thing. Well, the truth is, I mean, I, I love this concept. I and mean, one of the things that we do here a lot is try to figure out greatness and unlock it and figure out where it comes from. So there are a lot of people that talk fast. There's a lot of people that are um, being told, slow down. You're, you're, you're talking to one of them. But you <laughs> manage to somehow take that and sort of take it to the next level. I mean, just the thought that you were able to break a world record with it is unbelievable. So how did you get from a funny girl in school that talks too fast to somebody who really said, hey, I got something here and there's nobody in the world that can do it faster than me. Did, did you ever think that you would break a record? It's just that like people kept on encouraging you along the way. It's total opposite. What happened was, you know, I just do my thing and I never think like what I'm doing is like, you know, not that I don't think it's special because I enjoy doing it, but I'm just like, oh, I want to do that. Someone wrote a book. I'll write a book. I, they ran a marathon. I'll write a marathon. I just have that philosophy because I was lucky that my mother taught me that nothing is impossible. And my dad taught me to always find the humor in things. So I, I always grew, you know, afterwards when I became a standard motivational speaker, I'm like, okay, so here's the thing. If it works out, it'll become part of my motivational speaking. If it doesn't, it becomes part of my standup. Oh, I the, love that. The, yeah. So I utilize that. But the fast talking part, I was working at a radio station, WBLS FM, and I was writing um, comedy for them and kidding around one day. I said, you know what? I could do this really cool Mae West impression, but I call the character June East, Mae West's long lost sister. So the DJ just like flings the weather and traffic copy at me and you know, radio, cause you've done radio, the little red tally light came on. So I'm like, oh, so I had the copy. So I'm like, oh, it's insane. The weather and traffic is. 
And in the 30 seconds I happened to do it, a lady from the Daily News was listening. So she calls at the station. She goes, oh, I'm doing a story on weather and traffic people. How long you've been doing it? I'm not going to tell her 30 seconds. So I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it a while. So she goes, well, what do you plan on having next? But I didn't have a next, but I had a lady from the Daily News. So I said, oh, I'm thinking of uh, breaking a world record. And she goes, really, for what? But I didn't have a for what? So I I said, oh, I can't tell you because it'll jinx it. She goes, look. The article has to go in by six o'clock today. If you decide you want to let me know, give me a call. So I was like, all right, so I run out. I buy a Guinness book. I start looking through it. I'm like pogo sticking, blah, blah, blah. And I see fast talking. And I knew everybody had always told me, you know, slow down. So I, so I called her up at five to six. I'm supposed to like go on stage, you know, to do my stand up. And I'm like, it's five to six. Should I call her? All right, fine. So I call her up and I go, all right, you know what? I'll tell you. I'm thinking of breaking the record for the fast talking. Now, this is what's from a phone booth. You know, like, I remember when they had those things, you know. what? So, a phone um, booth? You mean where Superman grew up in? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what's a phone booth? The booth that, you, know, so, you know what I saw recently? Not to cut you off, just to give you this point. Yeah. I walked by the city last week, and I saw two phones and pay phones. And they were, I walked by, and I stopped because the pay phones were off the hooks. I'm thinking to myself, when do you think the last time someone took it off the hook? It must have been seven months ago, you know, like it's seven, seven years ago. <laughs> pay phones. Yeah, sorry. You're and and the thing is, did it work? Is the other thing. You're right, exactly. You're like, who's Call, on the collect. other Probably right. the other pay phone. Right. <laughs> right. I love it. Pay phones. Right. Sorry, you're in a booth. You're in a booth with your cape on, talking to the Daily News. Oh, no, yeah. That's good because now people know they still exist. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm at the booth and, I, and I'm like, you know, call her up. So I said, listen, I'll tell you, I'm thinking of breaking the record, you know. And she goes, well, what's the record at? So I'm reading it. I go, the record's 550. 52 words a minute. So now she says to me, well, what are you at? And I went, um, 550. I said, those last two words are a killer. <laughs> so I didn't know what to say. So she prints it in the paper. Oh, my god! And the very next day, the Larry King Live people call me up and ask me to go on the show and break the record. Wait a second. Wait yeah. a second. <laughs> I saw that spot. I Did saw you? you on Larry King. Yes. Yes. And I saw you break the record, and it was on his show. You're telling me that you were you had no idea about this beforehand. Like you weren't doing this for years. No, I don't I believe it. So when they called me, I actually said to the lady, "I go because I didn't know who he was." I went, "Hey, wait a minute, cable? Is this some kind of porn thing?" They're like, "Honey, no, this is a national show," and I'm like. Well, what if I don't break it? She goes, Larry doesn't care whether you break it. And I just cares that you attempted on a show first. So I said, all right, let me see. So I call up Guinness. I said, what do you have to do to break the record? They said Some from, something from Shakespeare or the Bible. Well, me and Shakespeare never got along. Right. So I had a prayer from the Bible that my mom had taught me. It was the 91st Psalm. So I was like, all right. So I call back, you know, lady at the station, the producer. And I go, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And so she goes, you have five hours before the limo gets here. Oh my so, gosh. For five hours, I'm sitting there going, he did draw a secret place of the most high, show the light in the shed. I'm like timing it with my father, you know, we're doing this whole thing and we're doing over and over again, like smoke's coming out of my head. I'm like, all right, this is the fastest I could get it. So I. How go, close were you in the practice? In the practice, I was at like 560. 
Wow. Yeah, you're and, saying that and, you were you were practicing at a level higher than the Guinness Book yeah, of World Record holders? Yeah, and it was like crazy because I'm like going, well, it's probably my excitement. Right, like, right, you know right, what right. I mean? So, but the thing is, I also knew that the record is very particular. Like you, you first of all, you have to say all the words. They have an Olympic timer timing to the hundredth of a second. Then they have a speech analyst analyze every single syllable. And then, um, then they have, um, so the speech analyst, the Olympic, you know, it's really hard to tell this story slow. Um, so they have the speech analyst, and then, um, <laughs> and then they have a machine called Alexa Concompressor that takes the word, slows it down, but doesn't distort it like a tape recorder to make sure that every single word is said. So I knew I couldn't mumble any words. Right. So I go there on the show and I break the record doing 585 words a minute. And then I, a years later, I go on 1990, June 5th, 1990, I go to the Guinness Museum in Vegas and I re-break the record doing 603.32 words a minute, which comes out to 11 words a second. Wow. <laughs> phenomenal. You know, the cool thing is I adopted this philosophy in life of just say yes and figure it out later. Yeah, that I think to me that's why the story is so inspiring. I think when you first hear the story, you may not realize how inspiring it could be to you. But when you really think about that, now that I know the story, because I, re, I I watched the video, I watched Larry King say, "I got you on, go," and then you right. broke it, and he looks down and goes, "She broke the record," and you went crazy. And I remember in thinking about it, thinking, "Wow, she must have been practicing." And da da da. The idea that you're you jump into opportunities in life and you enjoy them is such a refreshing approach towards life. And that's really where I want to begin to delve with you a little bit because so much of life is people walking around sort of on half battery, always upset. And there's like this larger than I find this like cloud. Yeah, that somehow gets in people's way of what life is supposed to be and where they're supposed to be and what they can't do. These like limiting beliefs that constantly come up in people's lives. And you're in a situation where what I love and I actually jotted it down and I want to sort of delve into it a little bit is that you're living in two philosophies that I think in its combination is a total game changer for people. One is that nothing is impossible. And two is that find the humor. And just the ability to say, hey, I'm jumping on the air, which is very hard. And then to say to a, 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 new, to, to a, a news reporter, no, sorry, wrong person. Like, no, nah, like, like, no, I'm, I, I just got on like a minute ago. Sorry, hang up. But to, to play it to that level <laughs> with Larry King, it, it, it speaks to a, an enjoyment of life. So where did it come from? Where did you get this, like, let's do it, let's take on the world let me fail. I don't care, but I'm going to enjoy the process. You know, my parents and everybody always asks me, you know, who were your parents like type thing? They were blue collar. My mom was a stay at home mom. She, you know, go to the PTA type thing. And my dad, he was a truck driver, later construction driver, whatever. But the one thing that they were known throughout my family was always finding humor, the jokes. But my mom was way ahead of her time because at that time, even when she was pregnant with me, she was studying metaphysics and hypnosis. And I remember her telling the doctor, I want to deliver the baby with hypnosis. And he's Mm -hmm. going, 
all right, what is this, some kind of witchcraft? What are you talking about? <laughs> Noses. Noses, wait. You know what? We're going to have to, you know, you know, get the demon out of you. Like, what are you right, talking right. about? So my mom, when I was in sixth grade, would sign, like, my yearbooks. Like, you know how most parents, like, oh, I know you're going to be a success and blah, blah, blah. And my mom always used to sign it, PMA. And I remember going, Mom, what is this PMA? And she goes, positive mental attitude. And so she literally from the moment, you know what she did that I thought was brilliant. And I didn't realize it's brilliancy till later on because my mom was just doing her own thing. It was like someone taught her when I was five years old, I wanted a Bam Bam doll. And I remember saying, mommy, I want a Bam Bam doll for Christmas. And my mother said to me, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I had a little doll high chair. And she goes, every day you have to play with that high chair as if Bam Bam's in the high chair. And I'm like, but he's not in the high chair. She goes, no, keep picturing him in the high chair and then he'll appear. (laughs) And then one day she put the doll in there and I thought my thoughts manifested the doll. So she planted that seed that whatever you visualize will come. And not to be scared of anything. So I remember going to the circus, me and my sister, and seeing these clowns with one guy up on top of his head. And then I said to my sister, let's go outside, sit on my on my shoulders. And my mother, instead of yelling, get down, that's going to be dangerous. She just said, watch out for cars. Wow. So I was really lucky that she had that nothing's impossible. And she always told me doesn't matter what those people say who are those people that uh, they success if they're not successful don't listen to them if they're not then don't listen to them and so i always had like yeah what do i have to listen to that person what that person doesn't know so i carried it on to my son when my son was before my son was even born on his crib i had i am nothing's impossible god guides me always and i am a winner and every single day I would read that to my son. He didn't even speak. You know, he was just a day old. And I would go, remember, Spence, you're a winner. God guides you always. Nothing's impossible. And I kept repeating that to him. And somebody said, why do you have these things on your son's crib? He can't even read yet. He doesn't even speak yet. I said, because this is the thing. In life, so much negativity is implanted on a daily basis. You just look at the news and you're like, oh, my God, this world. But. I figured if I give him that core of believing that you be your own best cheerleader and nothing's impossible, then it doesn't matter what comes about. Yeah. You surpass that. So where did I get it for? I just really have a love for life. And my mother, you know, I want to take guitar lessons. And it's not that she was rich. Believe me, it wasn't that I came from a rich family or anything like that. We found a way. And in my life, I always found a way to take my son anywhere around the world. I would barter. I would whatever I needed to do. I just get a thought in my head and I go, doesn't matter how I'm going to get there. I'm getting there. So I just have to figure out what I need to do to get there. Amazing. I, I love so many things what you said, and I want to unpack it like piece by piece because okay. as we're going through it, I'm thinking like there's so many silos that you're hitting on, which is so critical. First and foremost, just for the record, um, and I just did a show on this on ABC about how um, Marco Rubio – in today's just sort of political set, you have so many guys on stage, especially from the Republican side, right. even from the Democratic side. And you look at them, and we forget that a lot of these guys, they're 
they didn't come from like, you know, political dynasties like exactly. Bush, Clinton, maybe. But like Marco Rubio and Ben Carson and Bernie Sanders, these guys all I think have what you had growing up. And I'm thank God I'm blessed. My parents also like right. same mentality, like you got to go do it. And I think that and I'm sure you would agree with this, but. I think that if you are blessed with a child, if you're listening to this program and you are responsible for a human being, either through marriage or through childbirth, you're a parent or just you're given a friend, your responsibility to that person is in part to instill the beliefs in that person of who they can be. It is a crime, in my opinion, that a parent tells a kid you're not good enough because what they're doing is saying – I'm not good enough and I need to take it out on someone that's actually going to listen to me and everyone's sick of me. And that's where I think a lot of the problems in the school come because I always think, you know, yeah, of course we need to learn how to read. We need to learn how to write. We need to know all that stuff. But self-esteem and knowing that you can do something is so pivotal in in a person's life. That if they don't get that lesson, that's when they become bullies. That's when they're 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 likely to be a, a you know a follower instead of a leader because they're so scared of being accepted. You don't accept me, go somewhere else. What the hell do I care? I'm doing right. my own thing. And and that's the thing is like if you really have a strong belief in your system and in your in yourself, you can accomplish anything. Yeah, yeah. And- you have a higher level of. And what I loved about your story and and your mom, I'm I don't know if she was. Alluding to because a lot of what's happening now is stuff that people were talking about years ago as, you know, even now, I got to tell you, I, I it bothers me to high, to such an extent when someone will say like, oh, you're talking about beliefs like that's soft, like as if like beliefs are soft. But OK, so I'm sure 20, 30, whatever it was, people when they came up with these ideas, they thought they were and now science is actually showing that visualization is shifting the neurology to give you the ability to see something that wasn't there. So when your mom was saying visualize the bam bam, um, in a way she was preparing you for yeah. this idea that your emotions, your thoughts are impacting what your brain is going to turn into and ultimately what you think is possible for your life. And that's, that's a gift that you just can't get anywhere else in the world. Right. And this is the thing, you know, like when the secret came out, everybody was like, Oh, the secret, the secret. And I'm like, gosh, those are the principles I lived with like all my life. But the thing is my mom, I, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Um, I know I have the book somewhere. She had this little book. And I remember because of the way the guy explained it, the guy was from like the 1920s or something. I, 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 I wish I could remember the name of the book, but anyway, it was a small little book and it was called feelings. And my mom, I remember my mom, saying to me if you picture something but you just picture it and you don't have the feeling that it already happened it's not going to happen because you're just wishing and there's a difference between wishing and knowing that it's going to come to pass Mm -hmm. and a lot of times I think like I try to explain to people like when they say oh but you know how many times do I have to you know think of it or that I go okay just think of it this way when you go like to a store and you order something, right? You don't go and order it 50 times. You order it once and you trust that it's going to come. But what happens is people don't trust in the universe. I do. I happen to believe in in a universal God. I mean, you know, God, I'm not necessarily religious as much as I am spiritual. And my thing is that 
If somebody else could do it, why couldn't I do it? And if they could do it that way, why can't I think of a different way to do it? And every parent, like you said, needs to sit down with their kid. And one thing I always did with Spencer, if he had asked me a question, I would never like be facing this way if he's talking to me this way. I literally would stop what I'm doing because my mother did it to me. And I would look him in the eye. And I would get down to his level and I go, what is it, Spence? And I wanted him to know at any time during the day or night, if he had a question, he could ask me. Mm -hmm. If he had something that was bothering, he could tell me. And this is a funny story I was actually talking to your uh, producer about was um, I always told Spence, you know, little kids, I can't, mom, I can't. I was like, there's no such word as can't. And he goes, I said, only word that is, is that you don't know it yet. No such word as can't. Right. So in nursery school, I got a call from his teacher and she goes, oh, Miss Kappa, we have a problem. I said, what happened? She said, I told your son that he can't go outside, that we have to take naps. And your son told me there's no such word as can't. <laughs> I said, I love it. put my son on the phone. So he goes, mommy, you told me this. I go, Spencer, <laughs> it's not that you can't go outside. It's that the teacher doesn't want you to go outside right now. And she has a whole classroom full of kids and she needs them all to take naps. So you can go outside, but I'm just saying, follow what the teacher says right now and go to sleep. He gets off the phone and I hear him say to the teacher, see, there's no such word as can't. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, great. It's great. And, and it, it really, it resonates. It, it resonates and it makes such a difference. And I'm just going through in my head some of the things that you did, you do and you did in your career. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how do you go through all the opportunities, the television shows, the stand-up comedy? And it, it, I'm only, and I, I, I'm asking this, but I'm guessing before I ask, it must only come through the idea of Every opportunity is great. Let me try it. And if I fail, I fail. Yes. And here's the thing that people don't understand. A lot of people go, oh, you're so successful. All these things just happen. I go, listen, first of all, I don't talk about the things that don't work. Right, right, right. going to say to you. Oh, I called 15 people today. And, I, you know, I talk about the things that do work. I said, but second of all, I said, you know, when you think of it, and I hate to like give out these things, but like, and I'm not good with baseball, but I do know that base, that Babe Ruth had more whatever they call him, outs, then he had home runs. But because he kept doing it over and over and over and right, over again, right. he got it. And my thing is fall down seven times, get up eight. That's all that matters. You get up one more time, then you fall down. Yeah. You, you, End of story. You know, you, you want to do it, you go after it, and you have a tunnel vision. My thing is, I, and first of all, I'll only do things I want because I have had people challenge me. Oh, well, you haven't done this. I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. Oh, but you didn't do it. I'm like, I don't want to do it, you know, but for example, like someone once said to me, you've done all these things, but you never ran the marathon. I was like, all right, I'll run the marathon. And then for like three months I practiced and I was like, well, I would just ask different people. What do you need to do? I mean, I'm not a runner. I never was a runner. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I would run around the park and then I would walk and then run and walk. And somebody saw me doing that. He goes, what are you trying to do? I said, well, I'm actually trying to see how to get to the marathon. He goes, well, if you do, if you could run half of it, you could run the whole. I go, good. So I really only have to get up to like 12 miles. And so I just psyched myself out that I was going to do this. Yeah. And that's very important. I, and I, I think the concept is so important. And one of the things that I'm, I'm getting from you in, in what you're saying now, which is I want to just sort of highlight is that. What you are going for, or it looks like even looking at all the stuff that you're doing and the 
it's it's the idea of of reaching for the stars, right? And it's not just that you were shooting for anything. You were you were shooting for big stuff. You were shooting for the world record. I mean, it wasn't like you're like, well, I yeah. and the the ability to to say I'm going to fail. You know, King Solomon said this. You know, you're the 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 righteous person is the person that's able to fall down seven times um, and get up on the eighth. And I think that's the point is that so many people are so scared of failure that in the fear of failure, as if failure is going to confirm their already belief of that they're not good enough, right. they're just scared to try. And one area that I want to delve into with you for a second is an area that I think is maybe the hardest profession in the world. I think personally, if you could take professions and put them on level of difficulty, I would think is the stand-up comic. You know, well, not for me, Uh but um, again, stand-up happened purely by accident. See, this is what, the the way that stand-up happened was this. I was in Queens College. That's where I went. And I went there too, by the way. Oh, did you? Oh yeah. my God, how cool. <laughs> yeah. Love it. High five. Whatever. Okay. Oh, they do the bump now. Whatever they do. Okay. <laughs> so um so I, I um I'm at Queens College and I'm studying in accounting, right? I'm studying accounting. And accounting and for- Counting. Accounting. That's the least that was the last profession I would have picked if you would have given me a, a smorgasbord to choose from. Accounting for you. And philosophy. So okay, philosophy like, I can see more. One plus one is two. Why? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I'm there doing it and um I had read something about like Joan Rivers and I'm like, oh wow, I didn't know people could make a living doing telling jokes or whatever, you know. And I knew that it was funny, but it was never ever in my thought like, you know, so I believe in God. So I was like, hey God, that's pretty much how I talked to him. You know, if I turned it this way, you'd see my little, you know, all my candles and everything. And I'm like, hey God, if I'm supposed to do this stand-up comedy thing, give me a sign. Everything with me is give me a sign. So I um you know, I um, go to this car show and I sign this, you know, have your, your handwriting analysis thing. Right. And it comes out. It says, you have a good sense of humor. Use it to make money. I'm like, ah, that's a stupid handwriting analysis thing. Then I'm standing online at Great Adventures and I'm talking to my friend and a guy behind me taps me on the shoulder and goes, hey, I, I'm sorry for intruding, but I was at a comedy club and I was listening to you talk to your friend and you're actually funnier than the, per- the comic I heard. And then I'm like, that's just some guy online. And then um, then I uh, took, I by accident stumbled into an acting class, right? One day and I was like, oh, what's this? And they were like, it's an acting class. So I decided I would sign up and I had no clue of like the classics or whatever. And do you know Edward Albee, the zoo story? Okay. Well, anyway, apparently it's a suicide scene. I didn't read it that way. So I read it as a comedy monologue and the teacher pulls me aside. He goes, I've never heard anyone quite read it like that. And I go, why? Wasn't the guy? And he goes, the guy was trying to commit suicide. I go, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see it that way. And so the kid, a kid in the class says to me, I do stand up comedy at this club. Why don't you come down? He goes, I'll give you my act if you go down and audition. I said, nah, I can't. So now I'm still in my thick head thinking, God's not giving me a sign. So I go to, I saw, now I pray again. I'm like, hey, God, what's the deal? And I'm sure by this point he's like, oh, what do you need, a brick? What the hell is that? Right, right, a sign, hello. So I say, God, I I need you. And this is what I swear. I said, I go, God, I need you to make it like really convenient so I know. 
I go to Walking Queens College, and I don't know if you remember, I'm trying to remember the building that was to the far left. Um, I don't remember the name of the building right now. I go to walk in. That's where my philosophy class was. I go to walk in the front door. The front door is locked. They're having construction that day. So I walk around the side, and in that door, right on a bulletin board, says stand-up comedy auditions today, winner gets to perform at Creighton and Gray's. Creighton and Gray's was a bar that had never done stand-up that was two blocks from my house, which was 15 miles from Queens College. And I went, whoa, that's the sign. So then I look and the audition was in five minutes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get to class. I don't have anything written up. And I'm like, all right. So I look. Might as well do it. It's in a broom closet. I am not exaggerating. A guy is sitting in a chair in a broom closet. And I knock on the door because it's an auditions. I went, is this your audition like here in the broom closet? He goes, yeah, we couldn't get any other space. So I, so I don't even know what I said to the guy. I say it. I leave. I run to class. And he says, you know, we'll let people know who the winner is, blah, blah, blah. He gave me his, uh, he didn't even give me his number. I, I didn't leave my number. So what happens is, I'm like, wow, I wonder who that is. So I find the guy's number and I call him up and he goes, where have you been? You won. I go, I won. He goes, you didn't leave your number. You ran out. He goes, I put that you were the winner on the wall. I said, well, I never go through that door. I only went through that door because there was construction. I said, when do I have to perform? He goes, Friday. And it was a Monday. And I'm like, Friday. And he goes, just five minutes of material. I go, all right. Next day he calls me, he goes, I really need you to do 10 minutes. I go, 10 minutes. I go, is that normal? He goes, listen, it's the other comics are doing more time. I'm like, all right. He calls me up on Wednesday. He goes, I need you to do 20. I go, 20 minutes? So now I start calling every friend I know. I, I'm like, what's the funniest thing I ever tell you? I have a little teddy bear. I put the notes on the back. I go and I perform that night. Happens to be a newspaper reporter there that day. What is with you and newspaper reporters? They just hang around. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's like the weirdest thing, right? You know. I hope someone's covering this 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 podcast. Like I mean, I'm, I'm expecting <laughs> this to be written up in, in the I Times. Get a, we're we're going to get our own reality show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happens is she's in the audience. I get a standing ovation. She writes it in the paper and I have the little article. I saved it all these years. It said, Fran Capo successfully winged her way through her first live performance. So I have it. So now I didn't know that an article came out in the paper. Why would I know? I never seem to know anything. I'm like in this, you know, whatever phase, you know. So somebody says, oh, you got this right. Now, meanwhile, I had performed the next night and I bombed. Why? And here's the difference. And this is something I'm going to tell people. The first night I was speaking from my heart and saying just whatever came to my mind. The second night I was trying to imitate speaking from my heart and trying to remember what I did the first night. Sure. And the second night was rope, not just me being me. Mm-hmm. So the second night I bombed, I, I hid in the bathroom. I didn't want anybody to come out. You know, I, I, I wouldn't right. I wouldn't let the audience members into the, everybody left and everything. Um, six months later, I run into this club owner who goes, hey, I saw you do stand-up. I went, Friday or Saturday? <laughs> and he goes, Friday. I go, oh, yeah, so what do you want to know? And he goes, you want to perform my club? And that's what me started me doing it. But because I'm always curious, I called the newspaper. I said, 
so what is this thing? Like, how did you know I was performing? And she goes, um, well, they sent out a press release. I'm like, oh, what's a press release? So they explained a press release to me. I said, well, can you send me a sample of a press release? Because then I started thinking, well, every time I do something, I'll write a press release. And that's always how I do everything. I'm like, well, how'd you write that book? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, then I'll write a book. I mean, everything in life has come through me just not being scared to say, all right, I'll do it. Yeah. And I think the idea of not only do you say I'll do it, but also let me see who's done it before so I don't have to reinvent the wheel and let me let me learn about it. Right. Well, that's the other key thing is why should you have to learn from scratch? I try to ask as many questions as I can, just like what you're doing here on the show. You're trying to give people a path. Well, okay, if you do X, Y and Z, this will help you to get to your thing. And um, I have a friend and I'm not going to Well, I mean, I could say his name because he actually says it all the time. His name is Dale. And he didn't like the profession he was in. It it was, uh, you know, doing construction. He's like, I really hate what I'm doing. I go, look, you've been telling me this for years now. You you need to change this because you're, you're not doing anything. I said, you have a really cool key lime pie recipe. I said, do like Colonel Sanders. He, Colonel Sanders was getting a social security check and said, I'm going to live on this or have a chicken recipe and I'm going to try to sell it. And I said, he went around in a car till somebody finally bought it. I said, promise me before Christmas, you will sell two pies. I said, you're not allowed to call me back until you sell two pies. Okay. That was a year ago. He now, he sold some pies. Three days ago, he called me to tell me that his pies are now on the menu in the very in his very first restaurant, wow. Brick, New Jersey, and now he's got a bakery carrying his line. And he wow. also tells people that I inspired him to do that. But I said, but it also takes you to be willing to listen to what somebody tells you. Somebody could give you all the motivation they want, but if you're not willing to say, why not? And the thing is, what are you going to wait for when you're 80 years old? Yeah, and that's now. That's a great point, and I think it's a point that it, people forget a lot. There's a sense of um, we we have we live in a world today where there's this sense that if you don't get it when you're young, you miss it. Like if you don't pick the right major in college, you've missed it. Like you know, even in the business world, you see people like looking at like every day on some magazine. There's some 25 year old billionaire, and you think that like if you're 30, 40, 50, there's there's Either you miss the boat or you'll do it when, when the kids are out of the house. So there, there's there's this sense of it's never the right time. It just – it never ends up being the right time. I bet you even in hearing your stories, I would think that most people would say, yeah, I'd like to be a stand-up comic one day. It's just not the right time. Yeah, I'd like – it just – it's never the right time. It's not going to be the perfect, you know, the stars yeah. align, blah, blah, blah. You know it what? It never works. The, the right time is the time you think of it, you right. know, and that's the right time. Because right. if you've got the passion in you now, listen, if you want to be a stand-up comic, no one's saying you got to quit your job today, but go out and audition at the local club. At least so when you get to the end of your life, you don't go, oh, I wonder what if. Forget the what ifs. Do it now. Because right. Tomorrow is guaranteed to no one. I always say, live every day as if it's your last, and one day you'll be right. <laughs> and, on, and on that last day, you don't Very want good. to be doing the laundry. You right. want to be able to see God and say, you gave me a life, and I used up every minute of it. Amazing. And 
I really truly believe that. And like, you know, sometimes like what I, like I said to you, my son's really close in, to me and like, he'll say, Oh, you know, it was, you know, today was a lousy. I did. I said, today may seem like a lousy day, but I'm sure there was one thing in it that yep. you could tell me that was good. It's like a camera. Where do you focus? You could have a party full of people and the people in that corner could be arguing. The people in that corner could be laughing. If you focus on the people in that corner, then it looks like a great party. You focus over there and it looks like a lousy party. Focus where you, where you want. Right. Right. Where, where your attention goes, your life, you know, your life creates. Yeah. Let me ask you this, a very practical sort of uh, maybe personal question. Before you perform, you know, before you get on the radio, I've seen you come out on stage, you know, on talk shows. And do you have a pregame ritual that you tell yourself when you're behind the stage and they go, and ladies and gentlemen, and you know, uh, like, do you get nervous? If you do, what do you do to overcome that fear? Okay. Yes, I get nervous. And I get nervous on every single one of my adventures. And people always go, oh, my God, you're so brave. You eat fire. You bungee cord jump. You scuba dive with sharks. You fly combat aircraft. I said, okay, so here's the difference. I'm nervous about doing those things, but I have two philosophies. I can be nervous and not do it and then regret it because then I'm going to live over. Oh, why didn't I do it? Why didn't I do it? Why I do it? Or I can be nervous and do it. So before I go on stage, usually all I do is I just go like this. Yes. And I just fill my body with positive energy. That's literally all I do. So you force yourself to scream something positive and then your brain just has no more room for the negative. Right. And, and a lot of times I'll look at the audience and I'll be like, Oh, they're low. And I'll go, doesn't matter. Whatever. And what gets me more nervous is, you know, I know public speaking is a number one fear for a lot of people. And I and snakes it, uh, and death is number three. And I go, right. really? Death is number three. Right, you know? right, right. So but my yeah. thing is I, I look at the audience sometimes and I'll go and somebody will say something maybe that you, they don't realize, but it's like a psych out type of thing. But they're not realizing they'll do it. They'll like like, for example, a, a recent show that I did. I'm a friar. And I was at the Friars Club and they said, we just want you to know the audience is very old here. And, you know, we have the certain protocols. And uh, when you perform, you know, just make sure you do this, this, this and this. And I started thinking in my head of all the protocols and I was watching the other comics and they, you know, some of them weren't doing so well. And I'm like, they're all following the protocols. I go, I never follow protocols. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do my thing. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. I, I just can't be worrying about all this stuff. So I went on stage and the very first thing I said was, listen, I'm behind the stage about to come on and I'm being told that all you people are old. Now I look around and it's true. You people look like, you know, you have one foot in the ground, but you know, whatever. I said, now I said, and you over there, and there was this big heavy guy over there. I go, not for nothing. I go, he was a heavy guy. I go, you look like you would be in the mob and your name would be Fat Joe. And I swear to you, he goes, I get that is my name. <laughs> I knew that. And so I just started joking with the people. I said, listen, they gave me all these things I'm not allowed to do. Am I, I'm asking you people for permission. Can I do this? And they were like, yeah. So I said, okay, so if I get in trouble, I'm blaming it on all you people. And that's whenever I'm nervous, I literally tell my audience what I'm thinking. Yeah, I just you, tell you get it out. You get out the nervous energy and just go out and do it. And then what happens is they realize I'm just, you know, human. human. And I just say it. I don't try to come across like the perfect motivational speaker. If I see something happening in the bathroom, 
and I want to talk about it, I'll say, I was going to tell you this story, but you know what? I was in the bathroom, and you know what just happened? And I will just say it. Wow. Because I'm – Unscripted. You'll just – you're saying not even like – it's not even part of your routine. You'll just get out there and just start saying it right away. That's right. amazing. And if somebody gets up and I'm like, sir, are you upset? Where are you going? I mean, I have no problem. I have no problem. I was one time doing a motivational speech, and this lady said to me – um, I just want you to know, it was a chamber of commerce. She goes, I just want you to know that our speakers here, usually the audience doesn't listen to them. I'm like, then why do you have speakers? She goes, I don't know. They're just a rude audience. I said, I'm not good with people not listening. So she goes, well, I just don't want you to be offended if they don't, because usually they'll listen with half ear and they'll be walking around eating and doing this stuff. So I said, really? And there was no stage. I was supposed to just stand there. I'm not the tallest person. I'm 5'2". A lot of people are taller. And I'm standing there. I'm going to be little. There was no stage. So I said, okay. So I look around. I see an empty table. I pull it over. And I get a chair. She goes, what are you doing? I go, don't worry about it. You just announced me. And, uh, you know, we're going to do this. So she announced me. I stood on the chair and I stood on the table. I go, people, I'm about to talk. And I am Italian. And anybody who doesn't listen, I will feel the need to come down and smack them. I do not want to have to do that to you. People need to listen for the next 10 minutes. And they all listen. And she said, I can't believe you did that. She goes, first of all, I was nervous that you were standing on the desk. And she goes, I was thinking liability. She goes, but second of all, I can't believe that you just told them basically shut up and do it. But you know what? Why not? That's what I wanted. Ask for what you want in life. Guess what? You may get it. Stop following the rules. It's 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 a great philosophy. I mean, it just let just let it go a little bit. Stop trying to be always structured and allow yourself to just let go and allow yourself to have a little bit more um, comfortability with people that, that that just don't know you. I mean, I don't know. I, I bet you most comedians would never do that. They would pretend to do it. Like I bet you when most comedians come out on stage, they're scripting their quote unquote unscripted moments. Like so- even the stuff that seems like it's off the cuff, it's not off the cuff because like when I'd watch – if I'd watch a clip of somebody, right. uh, a comedian, on, let's say on YouTube, you'll see like the same off the cuff joke right. in seven different locations. Like you just happen to be coming – but the, the comfort that you have to just go out and just be yourself, I guess that brings your, – your authenticness probably resonates with the crowd that says, hey – this is just feels different. She's not talking, you know, to me. She's talking with me. Right. And the thing is, yes, there are comics that feel very comfortable and very scripted with their stuff. And honestly, for me, when I am very scripted, whether I'm doing motivational or we're doing that, I don't feel comfortable because then I don't feel I'm like actually in the moment. I feel I'm reciting my, uh, you know, my script. Right. And obviously I realize there's times in play, like when I get hired to do commercials, obviously I have to say what the commercial is. But even in that situation, I've actually gone up to producers and I've said, and there's a button I have on my website where I have stories behind the scenes of things I've done. But I, I once got asked to do this uh, play. It was called The Right to Heal. And it was actually about abuse of, of different women. And I was one of the women, but I was supposed to be the friend of a woman and giving her advice. And the lady goes, guess what? you got the part and I went like I literally went like this to the producer oh yeah do I have to memorize it and she goes well yeah it's a script I went uh you know I I, 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 I don't know about that she goes what do you mean (laughs) I said I can follow the parameters 
And she, she goes, this is a play. I said, I said, yeah, but I'm doing a monologue. And then the next person does their monologue. So my line isn't really based on their line. And so, so she let me improvise. But at one point, because I kept improvising, she said, the cast keeps laughing. You have to stick with one of your improv, you know, improvisation. Right. So I said, all right, but just let me go a little bit off. And every movie I've ever done, they, I say, I'll do it your way, but then let me do it my way. And then they usually always let me do my, my, you know, uh, improv. And obviously I'm sticking to the format of the, right. the script. I love it. You know, but the I, thing I, is I'm comfortable in my skin. I just love – I'm just picturing the thought of producers and writers around the set and knowing what goes into every word and then having you show up and go, oh, yeah, all of it? Forget it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, are you joking me? Like, no, no, no. Thanks. I appreciate you, writer, for writing this. We're doing it my way and it being better. I just – it's so refreshing to speak to someone with – and I'm saying this in a positive way because – so few times you meet somebody that is so naturally uncomfortable with being put in a box. And of course, there's a balance. And I'm sure there's plenty of times that you've done the things and you follow the rules, et cetera. But the idea that there's a comfort by being outside the box as a natural default button, which sounds to be what you have in your life. And it sounds to be, to me, as a catalyst for your success is this constant theme of I get your box I'm not in that box so why don't I do it my way and your ability to be comfortable out of someone else's box which means your ability to be comfortable without their approval yeah brings a refreshing uniqueness that makes it different than what everyone else is sort of digesting right now here's the thing obviously you know because you do a lot of corporate speaking so corporate world is very nervous about you going outside the box. They want yes. you to do it on the cake. So a lot of times what I do is I say, tell me your message points. Tell me what you need me to get across. And I absolutely will get those things across. But trust me that I've done this long enough that I will do it in a way that makes you shine. Because they're trying to make me do it in their way. And their way is what they've told a hundred other people. And it sounds just and, like everybody else. And, and then you just exactly. Yeah. So what I'll do is, for example, uh, you, uh, you know, I, I become a spokesperson for a lot of different companies, you know, because of the fast talking. And if it has to do with, um, you know, like Auntie Anne's pretzels, they wanted me to host a fast talking contest, you know, or, you know, Expedia at one point wanted me to do uh, something, you know, because Expedia, you know, fast talking. Um, I just did a talk for Miller Coors. I mean, I talk for all corporations around the world. So usually what I say to them is, tell me what you need. Tell me your theme. And I will absolutely work within and get your points across. Just let me do mine. And I'll watch the other speakers before me and I'll go, all right, well, I'm definitely not like that speaker. And, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I get a little nervous because I go, Wow, they've got it really polished. I'm totally not the uh, a polished type. Okay. No, not me. I ain't coming out. <laughs> yeah, and so, but I do it. But like, what's happened? Like, I remember when I had to do this thing for um, Master Foods, and uh, they wanted me to do a thing at Penn Station, and it was supposed to be a local event. So you know, WOR was their local news, and then I started on from the stage started just leaving the stage and going around and talking to people, excuse me, you over there. Yeah, you come here. And I started doing that. And then the camera started following me. 
And that was probably much better than scripted. And it went from being a local event that it got picked up nationwide. Wow. They were like, we went from what we thought was going to be one market to 45 markets. You've got us close to $1.5 million in publicity in that little short time because of what you did. And I said, and then because of that, the, the CEO of the company was there and she goes, Oh, that's so cool that you do the fast talk. And I said, Hey, I also do motivational speaking. She goes, yeah. I said, so you have a talk coming up. You should hire me. Like, oh, I love it. And she goes, I love well, actually we do. She goes, but here's the thing. Don't talk to our CEO because he does not, the worst thing you could tell me is who not to talk to. I right, just right, right, right. But anyway, he's like, don't talk to the CEO. It's a British guy. He likes being very behind the scenes. You're only going to be talking in front of a U-shaped table with like 10 people. The CEO is going to be sitting behind. Let him, you know, just stay behind. I said, all right, fine. That's what you need. I get to the place. They insisted. I usually don't do anything with uh, PowerPoints. Partially because my script is never, you know, oh, I need to point at that point. I don't like to be stuck to having to go to there. And at one point, we they had a screen up. They wanted to show a couple of my adventures, and the screen didn't work. And so they're sitting there, and then I went, who's responsible for this? I said, where's the CEO? I said, are you that guy that I'm not supposed to talk to sitting behind everybody else? And he just laughs. So they're from the, so they're from, from the stage. I said this on the stage. Oh, but remember, it was just a U-shape. I was standing in the middle of the CEOs, right? Yeah, but still. And so then he goes, what can I help you with? I go, I don't know. They bring me here. They're paying me. They tell me I have to use the thing. The thing's not working. I said, you and I need to talk. I, and so that he just started laughing. And then when they saw that he was laughing, they, they you know, lightened up. I said, you know, I was told that I wasn't allowed to talk to you. And he goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, but you seem like a great guy. I said, not only am I going to talk to you, I think I need to come over and kiss you. And he's like, what? I go, get over here. And so I give him a big kiss in front of everybody. Like I hug him and everybody's like looking at me like that. And we had a great time. And then I found out for the rest of the day that he was telling people, you know, we need that passion. And he was saying that I was saying. And I think that's probably what what the difference is, is that, and what I'm getting from you, and of course you can get away with things that I think, as I'm thinking about it, 90% people can't even get away with what you just did, but 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 you don't do it from a place of trying to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to embarrass. Right. You do, trying- that's who you are. You're just passionate. You love life. And that's what comes across. And it's that intangible that I think people are so desperate for today. And one of the things I know, I know that, that, that um, time is running short and I, I want to get one or two questions more, I'll but one of the things that one of, want to talk about that. Yeah. One of the things that I think is so critical that I'm getting from you and the people that are listening need to fully get this. And I, I hope it doesn't get lost because when I hear you do it, it's loud and clear is we are in a, in a, in a, in a place in the world where we are desperate for being authentic, desperate. Like how many, times can you see like your friend's life through like facebook where they're just smiling with the same eight type pictures and like how many like times can like the same you know abbreviations of conversations be the you know how we we speak to each other through twitter or whatever the idea that we are you know there's somebody that is just being authentic being real touching something um coming out and saying i know you're trying to script me but it just i'm not scriptable so let me just be me. And if you don't like me, okay. Like you're not saying I'm not scriptable and I'm the greatest thing in the world. So no, you must love me. All. You're saying, guys, listen, 
I can't be scripted. This is who I am. And you got what you got. And most people will say, I'll take real and unscripted over scripted and a little bit like too polished, a little plastic. I think I might, without going into any politics, you see it in presidential campaigns all the time. The guy or the woman that gets up and is real, everyone's like, yeah, them. Once they start coming scripted, you're like, mm, there's something wrong. Families, companies, and people today are so scared to be real, to be themselves, and they don't get. And I think this, this is to me like, I'm, I'm going to call it like the Frank Capital principle. Like, this is it. Like, when you are yourself and you're ready to be yourself, no matter what, you'll have doors open to you that won't open to anybody else. But let me ask you this yes. before you go to the next one. Talking to you now, and I, I can see why it's it's infectious. I mean, like, you're just like, I'm so pumped. And <laughs> it's like just hearing you and, 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 and to, my, and to the, the listeners that are listening to this on the podcast, like, you're missing out on the the visual of this. So check out the website, Charlie Harr. Check out the YouTube page because I'm going to post bits of the, um, the, the Skype interview here that you see. You're missing out if you don't get to see you personally because the enthusiasm comes through. You may – and maybe this, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing. I am guessing that you had moments of darkness too in your life. Absolutely, I've had a house burned down. I've been held up at gunpoint. Oh my gosh! Um, I wasn't anticipating times. that. Yeah, um, I've I had my mom died of cancer. I took care of her at home. I took care of my dad, my sister. Right after a month after my mom died, had a double mastectomy. Um, I've had we've, um, you know, my dad was in jail at one point. I wrote a book about it called Almost a Wise Guy. He actually told me to write about it. And wow. um, I've had many, many, you know, look, you watch your house burn down, you're five years old. You know, you get a, some guy when you're pregnant jumping on your balcony and you look through the window and he's looking the other way. Or when I'm in a supermarket, when I'm, you know, 15, uh, not 15, 19 years old, working my way through high school. And I get a guy with a sawed off shotgun putting it to my stomach and literally, you know, you, and and the guy literally went for my necklace and I remember smacking his hand and, and he goes, do you realize I could kill you? I said, yeah, but you know, you're not going to get a lot of that market value off the street. And I don't even know why I said that, you know, why the guy didn't shoot me. I don't know. But the thing is, I honestly had a lot of things happen that were pretty bad. I mean, I've had pets die. I've had you know, friends, you know, that I'm going to the hospital with them. I had my son almost die twice. Once my son was in the hospital at the same time it was my mother was. And I didn't want to tell my son that my mother, my son was in the hospital upstate. My mother was in the hospital in Queens. I didn't want either one of them to know the other one was in the hospital. So they would worry. So I was running back and forth to the hospital for 10 days. And they both kept saying, why do you keep leaving? I'm like, oh, I'm a little tired. Because I didn't want either of them to be discouraged that the other one was in the hospital. Um, and then again, later, my son almost died. Um, he had his appendix explode and he didn't even know it, but I got a message in the morning. And this is where I want to talk real quick if we can. And I know we don't have that much time left about my book, Hopefell. I got a message that said, you have to go. Your son's getting sharp pains. You have to go to his work. And, I, and he had just started the job. And I'm like, listen, I know this is not protocol. I know I shouldn't be coming in on my son, but I need to get my son to doctor. And they go, yeah, he does look great. His appendix had already burst. Had mm. I not got him in there, they said he would have been dead. And it's just- How do you deal with it? How do you, a person that is so positive, and then I want to jump into your book. How do is the person that is so positive, that is so taking on the world, that has so much going for her? I mean, I'm telling you, I was exhausted reading your bio. I can only <laughs> imagine having to have done this 
4,500 radio programs, 450 television shows. How does a person whose whole persona is take on life, how do you grapple when things don't go your way? Or when I things- allow myself to cry. I allow myself to scream and yell into a pillow. I write in a journal all my feelings. It's almost like everything's inside of me. I get it out. Mm-hmm. And I allow myself to do that for 10% of the time. And then I go, okay, now they get all the emotions out find a solution. And that's what I do. First, I allow myself to cry, scream, yell, write, do whatever I have to do. And then I focus on the solution. So in my son's case, um, when uh, they went in there and they saw that the appendix had not um, had burst, they said, we can't take it out. It's actually way too dangerous. And so I was like, okay, fine. I said, so what are we going to do? They said, we're going to give him an antibiotic and the antibiotic is going to get, you know, cure him. And then in a, in a couple of weeks, then we'll take out the appendix. Well, it didn't work. That night he had 104 fever. The next night, 104 fever. The next night, 104 fever. And they said, we're going to have to operate. I said, you said it was very dangerous if we operate and that um, he could die. And they said, yes, but he's not responding to the antibiotics. We have to do it. So I didn't want him to see that I was upset. I literally went in my car and my mother had already passed by then. I was like, mom, mother, Mary, you better give me a sign and it better be so definite that Spence is going to be okay. And a friend of mine, a Jewish friend of mine, and I say this only because this I know it's different with Mother Mary, with the Catholics and Jews. She calls me up and she goes, Fran, I am in Philadelphia in an 83-year-old Jewish man's house. He's a hoarder. If I tell you where things from the ceiling to the floor, you can't see anything. And I heard in my head, Fran's not hearing us. I was instructed to look under a piece of paper in a box and in the box was a locket. My mom's name was Rose that had a rose on one side and a mother Mary on the other. And I always wear this, this lock. And then I knew that I got my sign. There's a lot more to the story, but I want to talk to you about hopeful and I see we're running out of time. So it's it's just an amazing concept that you're able to, and I think it's very important also this idea of um, letting your emotions out, being a human being, and then at some point and, – and it, it, it's reminiscent of earlier in the conversation where you said to me um, that you'll go bungee jumping, you'll go skiing, whatever it is, you'll figure out how to do it. I think I wrote it down here. You'll find a way. I actually took notes. You'll find a way. So what I'm getting and then I want to hear more about the book is a, an approach towards life, which well, is when things are good, yeah. you'll find a way. When things are bad, you'll find a way. Because it's if you want to do something, you find a way. If you don't, you find an excuse. And mm, people, no, I is. can't because I'm too old. I can't because I'm like, you know what? Seriously, all those are excuses. No, they're not excuses. This is the truth. It's the truth as you believe it. We make our own truths. So just change your belief. Well, it's not so easy for people to change their belief. Okay. But the thing is, you know, there is something to fake it till you make it in the sense that, okay, maybe you don't have the strongest belief that you do it, but at least try. Just don't sit there and say, no, I can't. Have you done it? Well, yeah, I tried it once. Really? Once? Uh, maybe twice. Really? Twice? That's all yeah. you're going to give it? Can you imagine a little baby trying to stand up twice? It goes, that's it. It can never walk. I'm out. Right. Like, We're, right. Teach me how to drive. Right. That would be all of us. Yeah. We never learn how to walk. We just crawl into a car and learn how to drive. Right. Really? So, I mean, it's like, come on, people. Stop with the excuses. You create your own life. You want to yeah. create it. Go do it. Don't tell me anything's not possible because years ago, what wasn't possible right now we take is everyday life. 
Right. And, absolutely. you know, there'll be something else in the future that will take is, you know, now we're going, well, that's not possible. I believe anything's possible. Sometimes people say I'm too gullible because they believe that I go, why? I'm in the world record book where people are swallowing seven swords, eight swords. Why would I think anything's impossible? I see people who do these crazy things. They're my peers. If I ever have a jury of my peers, I'm going to have the bearded man. The, you know, we're going to have all these people. Right. So, so tell me about your book, Hopeful. Okay. Well, I've written 18 books. Right. Hopeful, the city of light is the only book that came to me this way. And this is why it's really important for me to tell you about this book. So I was in the middle of writing my adrenaline adventures book and, you know, obviously you have deadlines to get the books done and it's four o'clock in the morning. And I hear a voice say to me, Fran, you have to get up and write this book and I'm sleeping. So I'm like, Oh, this is a weird dream. I turn on the light. I don't see anything. Turn off the light. The voice again says, Fran, get up. You have to write this book. It has a message that has to go out to the world. So I turn on the light again. I go, okay, I don't know if I'm dreaming or if I'm sleeping. I hear you. I don't know who you are. But first of all, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm not writing a book. Uh, so, if, if it's a voice, show up at 9 a.m. Right, and, was, yeah. and so the voice is being very persistent. It says, write the title down. So I turn on the light again. I write down, Hopeville, the city of light. And then I turn off the light again. Next morning, I get up, take my kid to school, my mom to work. I have to get my car fixed. I take my laptop. I'm all ready to work on my Adrenaline Adventures book. I say to the guy, listen, I don't have another car. Can, I, can you set me up somewhere? He goes, sure, sit in that corner. We'll let you know when your car's done. I've never had writer's block in my life. I start to write, you know, my chapter of Adrenaline Adventures. And I'm sitting there and going, how can I not type? What is the matter? And I literally couldn't think of my chapter. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. I'm not going to sit here for three hours and do nothing. So I keep trying. And then I'm like going, Ugh, what's the title of that book? And so then I write, Hope Fill the City of Light. And that is all I remember. For the next three hours, I cannot tell you what I wrote. All I know is I wrote the words, the end. And the guy goes to me, Fran, your car's ready. He goes, that was really weird. And I go, what? He goes, We all looked at you. You didn't blink. You didn't breathe. You didn't move. You didn't go to the bathroom. You were like a zombie just typing. I said, I think I typed a book. He goes, how do you not know? I said, I honestly cannot tell you one word on this page. So I left that book, didn't do anything with it. This is back in 2004. And I continued writing Adrenaline Adventures. And then a couple of weeks later, I went, well, if there was really a voice, I should at least look and see if this book makes sense. And I read it and it was about a little boy who's getting bullied, a widowed mother who's trying to make ends meet, a successful businessman who devoted his whole life to building his business and therefore gave up the love of his life and other things. And an old man who nobody's listening to because they feel he's so old. On the same night, all four of them say a prayer asking for guidance because they're very discouraged. An angel of light comes to each of them and gives them instructions of what they need to do to make their lives happy. They don't think they could do it. And she says, if you do it, you'll be an example and you could help transform the town. They try it. The town gets transformed, but then everybody takes it for granted, this thing that the angel tells them to do. And the angel gets mad and makes it more difficult. And now these people wind up utilizing what she told them to do in their lives, transforms the town. So now I have this book and um, I, I, I write it and now I'm like, okay, now what? So I'm like, okay. 
So I tell somebody about the book, somebody who does not do covers of books or anything. He says, I get it. Can I design your book cover? And then he designs the book cover of Hopeful. I don't know if you can nice. see it. There's like yeah, Angela great. in the back. So then I go to another thing and someone says, I'm supposed to help you. I go, do what? She goes, I don't know. I go, well, I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. And then I said, well, maybe I should tell people about the book. So I tell people, and in one day, because the book was not in this form, it was just a thing that I wrote. I stapled it, went to Staples and made 50 copies, sold all 50 copies in a day. Again, me being thick with a lot of this stuff, you know, God must be like, how many messages we got to get to you? Right. And um, so I leave the book, 2014, 2013 comes, and I decide I really should do something with this book. So I tell people at my birthday party, uh, you know, I say, all right, you know what? I'm, I have this book that I wrote. I'm going to let people know about it, blah, blah, blah. The book in one day hits number 11 on Amazon. Wow. So now, do you think I do something with it? I leave it again. And I'm like, what is my problem? So now, last year, I'm supposed to go to the military, to South Korea, doing 17 shows in 10 days for the military. And I see, you know, I'm thinking about the book and I go, all right, Mother Mary, God, whoever gave me this voice, you say that it's supposed to have a message, supposed to get out to the world. I've told people about the book. I sold the book. What am I supposed to do? Help me out here. The next day, a video that I had done three years ago with someone goes viral. I didn't even know. All of a sudden, I start getting calls from people. Oh, I saw you on the BBC. I go, BBC? I'm laying in bed. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw you on ABC. I go, how could you see me on ABC? So I call my son. He goes, Mom, you're all over the place. You're in Croatia, Scandinavia, Vietnam. I go, for what? He goes, this video you did. About two hours later, I start getting calls from all news channels. They can you be on? Yahoo News, Huffington Post, Time Magazine. I'm like, yeah. I said, but let me talk about my book, Hopeville. So some, you know, were yes, some were no, but you know, most of it, I wind up talking about the book and I, then I go to, then I go to South Korea. The, the soldiers had seen the video. So then I, I wasn't allowed to bring any books there. And I said, any soldier who wants a free ebook, just ask me because I know it could help them. Soldiers started asking. Before I had left two days, this amazing thing, before I left, two days before I left, a woman calls me up and says, I've tried to track you down. I'm sorry I've reached you at your home. I said, no problem. What's up? She goes, I read your book. My husband died six months ago. I've been looking for comfort. Your book was the only thing that gave me comfort. Would you think of making it into a hardcover? I said, well, I was going to keep it as an e-book. You know, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing with it. And then she said, to consider making e-book. There's a place called 48 Hour Books. I said, you know what? I'll make up a few copies. I'll give the lady a few copies, whatever. I started doing that. And what started happening was I'd give a copy to someone. They'd come back and buy 10 copies. They would get a copy. They'd come back and buy 20 copies. Then they started giving it to corporations. And now corporations are using it as a way to show uh, spirit, enthusiasm, passion, um, and ways to stay focused. Wow. And what I did was I never changed the story, but I put the I pulled out the 44 lessons of Hopeful that you could learn at the back so people could right away get, get it. it right away. Okay, Hopeful. Uh, you, got, you can get it on Amazon. Right, and at right. my website if you want an autographed right. copy, frankcapo.com. 
Okay, so FranCapo.com, of course, we'll, um, we'll have show notes to this show. You can check it out as well. We'll put it at the show notes if you go to com. We'll have this episode with the show notes lined up and Fran's quotes and the link to Fran's book and her website. Um, so if those are listening through iTunes or from whatever other player that you're listening to, you can go to charlerai.com to get the show. You can go to com, F-R-A-N-C-A-P-O.com to check out Fran's stuff. You're going to love it. You can just Google or if I would give you – if you have a couple of minutes – just go to YouTube and put in Fran Capo and get ready to have fun. Uh, Hopeville Fran, I had an incredible time with you. I'm sure that my listeners are going to enjoy it as well. It was a roller coaster ride of <laughs> only great things. And I wish you only continued success. And I really hope that your enthusiasm and your passion for life and your go get a mentality becomes a staple in the future of our people. Because if it does, you know, the future is bright. And thanks so much for the time. Thank you. I loved being on your show. Seriously, I really did. Thank you. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.